0: Chapter 6 Life in the Clearings versus the Bush by Susanna Moody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Singing Master
1: The Singing School Conceits an excellent greatcoat, and sticks close to the wearer for his mortal life. It has no spot nor wrinkle in his eyes, and quite cuts out the coats of other men.
0: During my professional journeys through the country, I have often had the curiosity to visit the singing-schools in the small towns and villages through which I passed. These are often taught by persons who are perfectly ignorant of the common rules of music-men, who have followed the plough all their lives, and know about as much of the divine science they pretend to teach as one of their oxen. I have often been amused at their manner of explaining the principles of their art to their pupils, who profit so little by their instructions that they are as wise at the end of their quarter as when they began. The master usually endeavours to impress upon them the importance of making themselves heard, and calls them the smartest fellow who is able to make the most noise the constant vibration they keep up through their noses gives you the idea that their teacher has been in the habit of raising sheep and had caught many of their peculiar notes this style he very kindly imparts to his pupils and as apt scholars generally try to imitate their master choirs taught by these individuals resemble a flock of sheep going bying one after another over a wall I will give you a specimen of one of these schools that I happened to visit during my stay in the town of W., in the western states. I do not mean to say that all music-masters are like the one I am about to describe, but he bears a very close resemblance to a great many of the same calling, who practice their profession in remote settlements, where they are not likely to find many to criticize their performance. I had advertised a concert for the 2nd of January, 1848, to be given in the town of W. I arrived on the day appointed, and fortunately made the acquaintance of several gentlemen, amateurs, who happened to be boarding at the hotel to which I had been recommended. They kindly manifested a lively interest in my success, and promised to do all in their power to procure me a good house." while seated at dinner one of my new friends received a note which he said came from a singing-master residing in a small village a few miles back of w after reading the epistle and laughing heartily over its contents he gave it to me to my great astonishment it ran as follows my dear roberts how do you do i hope you'll excuse me for troubling you on this occasion but i want to ax you a particular question is you acquainted with the man who's a-goin' to give a singin' in your town tonight? If you be, just say to him from me that if he will come over here, we will get him up a-house. If he will or won't come, please let me know. I'm teachin' a singin' school over here, and I can do a great deal for him, if he'll only come. Yours, most respectfully, John Brown "'You had better go, Mr. H,' said Roberts. "'This John Brown is a queer chap, and I promise you lots of fun. "'If you decide upon going, we will all accompany you, and help to fill your house.' "'By all means,' said I, "'you will do me a great favour to return an answer to the professional gentleman to that effect. "'I will send him some of my programmes, "'and if he can get a tolerable piano, "'I will go over and give them a concert next Saturday evening.' the note and bills of performance were duly dispatched to blank and the next morning we received an answer from the singing master to say that all was right and that mr brown would be happy to give mr h his valuable assistance but if possible he wished that i could come out on friday instead of saturday as his school met on that evening at 6 o'clock and he would like me to witness the performance of his scholars which would only last from 5 in the evening till 6 and consequently need not interfere at all with my concert, which was to commence at eight. We ordered a conveyance immediately, and as it was the very day signified in the note, we started off for the village of blank. On our arrival we were met at the door of the only hotel in the place by the man a leetle in my line. "'Is this you, Mr. Thingamy? I can't for the life of me think of your name. But no matter.' "'Ain't you the chap is a-goin to give us the consort this evening?' I answered in the affirmative, and he continued, "'What a little fellow you be! Now I stand six feet four inches in my boots, and my voice is high in proportion. But I suppose you can sing. Small fellows allers make a great noise. A bantam rooster aller crows as loud as a game-crower, to make folks believe that the dunghill is his'n.' I was very much amused at his comparing me to a bantam cock, and felt almost inclined to clap my wings and crow. "'I've set all your bills about town,' continued the odd man, "'and invited all the tip-tops to come and hear you. "'I've engaged a good room and a forty-pound of P&E. "'I suppose it's worth as much, for tis a terrible smart one. "'It belongs to Deacon S. and his two daughters are the prettiest gals hereabouts.' They play old Dan Tucker and all matter of tunes. I found it deuced hard to get the woman's consent, but I knew she wouldn't refuse me, as she is looking out to catch me for one of the daughters. She made many objections, said that she would rather the cheese press and the cook stove and all the rest of the furniture went out of the house than the peony, as she feared the strings would break and all the keys spill out by the way. "'The strings are rusty, and the key's loose enough already. "'I told the old missus that I would take good care "'that the right side was kept uppermost, "'and that if any harm happened to the instrument, "'you could set it all right again.' "'I'm sorry,' said I, "'to hear such a poor account of the instrument. "'It is impossible to sing well to a bad piano. "'Poo-poo, man! "'There's nobody here that ever heard a better. "'Bad or good, it's the only one in the village.' I play on this piano a little myself, and that ought to be some encouragement to you. I'm a-goin' to do a considerable business in the singing line here. I have stirred up all the little girls and boys in the place and set them a whistlin' and a playin' on the jew's harp. Then I goes to the old uns and says to them, "What geniuses for music these young uns be! It is your duty to improve a talent that providence has bestowed on your children." I puts on a long face, likes the parson when I talks of Providence, and the like of that. And you don't know how amazingly it takes with the old folks. They think that Providence is allers on the lookout to do them some good turn. "'What do you charge, Mr. Brown?' says they, in instanter. "'Oh, a mere trifle, I say, in instanter. Just half a dollar a quarter, part in cash, part in produce.' "'Tis cheap,' says they again. "'Too little,' says I, by half.' well the children shall go says the old man missus you see to it the children like to hear themselves called geniuses and they go into it like smoke when i'm a tunin' my voice at my lodgings in the evening just by way of recreation the little boys all gets round my window to listen to my singing they are so fond of it i can't get them away They make such a confounded noise in trying to imitate my splendid style, but I'll leave you to judge of that for yourself. S'pose you'll be up with me to the singing school, and then you'll hear what I can do. I shall be most happy to attend you. You see, Mr. Thingamy, this is my first lesson, and you must make all allowances, if there should be any trouble, or that all should not go right.' You see, one seldom gets the hang of it the first night, no how. I've been farming most of my life, but I quit sight about five weeks ago, and I've been studying hard for my profession ever since. I've got a large school here, another at A, and another at L, and before the winter is over, I shall be qualified to teach at W. I play the big bass fiddle and the violin right off, and... Here a little boy came running up to say that his father's sheep had got out of the yard, and had gone down to Deacon S., and, said he, "'The folks have sent for you, Mr. Brown, to come and turn em out.' A merciful intervention of Providence, thought I, who was already heartily weary of my new acquaintance, and began to be afraid that I should never get rid of him. To tell the truth, I was so tired of looking up at him that I felt I could not converse much longer with him without endangering the elasticity of my neck, and he would have been affronted if I had asked him to walk in and sit down. He was not very well pleased with Deacon S's message. That comes a bore on, Mister. If I had not asked the loan of the peony, they never would have sent for me to look at her, dear darn sheep. I must go, however. I hope you'll be able to keep yourself alive in my absence. I've got to string up the old fiddle for tonight. The singing school's about a mile from this. I'll come down with my old mare, arter you, when it's just time to be a-going. So, good-bye.' Away he strode at the rate of six miles an hour, his long legs accomplishing at one step what would have taken a man of my dimensions three to compass. I then went in to the hotel to order dinner for my friends, as he had allowed me no opportunity to do so. The conceited fellow had kept me standing a foot deep in snow for the last hour, while listening to his intolerably dull conversation. My disgust and disappointment afforded great amusement to my friends, but in spite of all my entreaties they could not be induced to leave their punch and a warm fire to accompany me in my pilgrimage to the singing school. We took dinner at four o'clock, and the cloth was scarcely drawn when my musical friend made his appearance with the old mare to take me along to the school. Our turnout was everything but prepossessing. A large, unwieldy cutter of home manufacture, the boards of which was composed, unplaned and unpainted, with rope harness, and an undressed bull's hide by way of buffaloes, formed our equipage. But no description that I could give you would do justice to the old mare. A sorry beast she was, thick-legged, rough-coated, and of a dirty yellow white. Her eyes, over one of which, a film was spread, were dull as the eyes of a stale fish." and her temples were so hollow that she looked as if she had been worn out by dragging the last two generations to their graves. I was ashamed of adding one more to the many burdens she must have borne in her day, and I almost wished that she had realized in her own person the well-known verse in the Scotch song, The Auld man's Mare's Dead, A Mile Ayant Dundee, before I ever had set eyes upon her. "'Can she carry us?' said I, pausing irresolutely, with my foot on the rough, heavy runner of the cutter. "'I guess she can,' quoth he. "'She will skim like a bird over the snow. "'So get into the sleigh, and we'll go straight off to the singing school.' It was intensely cold. I drew the collar of my greatcoat over my ears, and wrapped my half of the bull's hide well around my feet. And we started the old mare went better than could have been expected from such a skeleton of a beast to be sure she had no weight of flesh to encumber her motions and we were getting on pretty well when the music-master drove too near a stump which suddenly upset us both and tumbled him head for most into a bank of snow i fortunately rolled out atop of him and soon extricated myself from the difficulty but i found it no easy matter to drag my ponderous companion from beneath the snow and the old bull's-hide in which he was completely enveloped the old mare stood perfectly still gazing with her one eye intently on the mischief she had done as if she never had been guilty of such a breach of manners before after shaking the snow from our garments and getting all right for a second start my companion exclaimed in an agonized tone "'My fiddle! Where? Where's my fiddle? I can do nothing without my fiddle!' We immediately went in search of it, but we did not succeed in finding it for some time. I had given it up in despair, and, half frozen with cold, was stepping into the cutter to take the benefit of the old bull's hide, when, fortunately for the music-master, one of the strings of the lost instrument snapped with the cold. We followed the direction of the sound, and soon beheld the poor fiddle sticking in a snow-bank, "'and concealed by a projecting stump. "'The instrument had sustained no other injury "'than the loss of three of the strings. "'Well, aren't that too bad?' says he. "'I have no more cat-gut without sending to W. "'That's done for, at least for to-night.' "'It's very cold,' I cried, impatiently, "'seeing that he was in no hurry to move on. "'Do let us be going. "'You can examine your instrument better in the house "'than standing up to your knees in the snow.' "'I was born in the backwoods,' says he. "'I don't feel the cold.' Then, jumping into the cutter, he gave me the fiddle to take care of, and pointing with the right finger of his catskin gloves to a solitary house on the top of a bleak hill nearly a mile ahead, he said, "'That white buildin' is the place where the school is held.' We soon reached the spot. "'This is the old Methodist church, mister, and a capital place for the voice. There is no furniture hangings to interrupt the sound.' "'Go right in, while I hitch the mare. I'll be arter you in a brace of shakes.' I soon found myself in the body of the old dilapidated church, and subjected to the stare of a number of very unmusical-looking girls and boys, who, certainly from their appearance, would never have led you to suppose that they ever could belong to a philharmonic society. Presently Mr. Brown made his debut.' assuming an air of great importance as he approached his pupils he said ladies and gentlemen allow me to introduce to your notice mr h the celebrated vocalist he has come all the way from new york on purpose to hear you sing the boys grinned at me and twirled their thumbs the girls nudged one another's elbows and giggled while their eloquent teacher continued i don't know as how we shall be able to do much to-night we upset "'and all that spilt my fiddle into the snow, you see?' "'Holding it up. "'It's right full of it, and that busted the strings. "'A dropsical fiddle is no good, no how. Jeez, look at the water dripping out of her.' "'Again the boys laughed, and the girls giggled,' said he. "'Hold on, don't laugh. "'It's no laughin' matter, as you'll find.' "'After a long pause, in which the youngsters tried to do their best to look grave, he went on. Now, all of you, girls and boys, give your attention to my instructions this evening. I'm going to introduce a new style for your special benefit, called the Pestilazy system. Now, all the fashion. If you are all ready, produce your books. Hold them up. One, two, three. Three books for forty pupils? That will never do. We can't sing tonight. Well, never mind. You see that blackboard? I will give you a lesson tonight upon that. Who's got a piece of chalk? A negative shake of the head from all to me. Chalk scarce in these diggings. To the boys. What, nobody got a piece of chalk? That's unlucky. A piece of charcoal out of the stove'll do as well. No, I won't, roared out a boy with a very ragged coat. They be both the same colour. True, Jenkins, for you. Go out and get a lump of snow. It's darnation strange if I can't fix it somehow. Now, thought I, what is this clever fellow going to do? The boys winked at each other, and a murmur of suppressed laughter ran through the old church. Jenkins ran out, and soon returned with a lump of snow. Mr. Brown took a small piece, and, squeezing it tight, stuck it on the board. "'Now, boys, that is do, and this is Ray, and that is do again, and that is me, this is do, and that fa, and that, boys, is a part of what we call a scale.' Then turning to a tall, thin, shabby-looking man, very much out at the elbows, whom I had not seen before, he said, "'Mr. Smith, how is your bass viol?' "'Haven't you got it tuned up yet?' "'Well, squire, I guess it's complete.' "'Hold on, let me see.' And taking a tuning-fork from his pocket, and giving it a sharp thump upon the stove, he cried out in a still louder key, "'Now, that's A. Just tune up to A.' After mr Smith had succeeded in tuning his instrument, the teacher proceeded with his lucid explanations. Now, boys, start fair. Give a grand chord. What sort of noise do you call that?" giving a luckless boy a thump over the head with his fiddlestick. "You bray through your nose like a jackass. I tell you to quit. I don't want discord." The boy slunk out of the class and stood blubbering behind the door. Tune up again, young shavers. Sing the notes as I have made them on the board. Do, re do, mi, do, fa. Now, when I count to four, commence. One, two, three, four, sing. Hold on, hold on. Don't you see that all the notes are running off? And you can't sing running notes yet. Here he was interrupted by the noise of someone forcing the way into the church, in a very strange and unceremonious manner. And... The chorister's song that was so strong grew a quaver of consternation. The door burst open, and a ghastly head was protruded through the aperture. A ghost! A ghost! shrieked out all the children in a breath, and, jumping over the forms, they huddled around the stove, upsetting the solitary tallow-candle, the desk and the bass viol in their flight. One lad sprang up, right upon the unfortunate instrument, which broke to pieces with a terrible crash. We were now left in the dark." The girls screamed and clung round me for protection, while the ghastly apparition continued to stare upon us through the gloom, with its large, hollow eyes. I must confess that I felt rather queer, but I wisely kept my fears to myself, while I got as far from the door as I possibly could. Just as our terror had reached a climax, the grisly phantom uttered a low, whining neigh. "'It's the old mare! I'll be darned if it isn't!' cried one of the older boys at the top of his voice. This restored confidence to the rest, and one rather bolder than his comrades at length ventured to relight the fallen candle at the stove, and holding it up, displayed, to our view, the old white mare, standing in the doorway. The poor beast had forced her way into the porch to protect herself from the cold, and she looked at her master as much as to say, "'I have a standing account against you.' No doubt her sudden intrusion had been the means of shortening her term of probation by at least half an hour." and of bringing the singing-school to a close. She had been the innocent cause of disabling both the musical instruments, and Mr. Brown could not raise a correct note without them. Turning to his pupils with a very rueful countenance, and speaking in a very unmusical voice, but very expressive withal, he said, Quar, meaning choir, you are dismissed. But hold on, don't be in such a darnation hurry to be off. I was a-goin to tell you, this ere gentleman, Mr. H.' my name for wonder popping into his head at that minute, is to give a consort tomorrow night. It was to have been tonight, but he changed his mind that he might have the pleasure of hearing you. I shall assist Mr. H. in the singing department, so you must all be sure to come. Tickets for boys over ten years, twenty-five cents, under ten, twelve and a half cents, so ye little chaps will know what to do. The next time the school meets will be when the fiddles are fixed. Now scamper. The children were not long in obeying the order. In the twinkling of an eye they were off, and we heard them shouting and skylarking in the lane. "'Come, Mr. H,' said the music-master, buttoning his great coat up to his chin. "'Let's us be a-goin!' On reaching the spot where we had left the cutter, to our great disappointment, we found only one half of it remaining. The other half, broken to pieces, strewed the ground." mr brown detained me for another half hour in gathering together the fragments now you mr smith you take care of the crippled fiddles while i take care of the bag of oats the old mayor has been trying to hook them out of the cutter which has been the cause of all trouble you mr h mount up on the old jade and take along the bull's hide and we'll follow on foot yes said i and glad of the chance for i am cold and tired Not knowing a step of the way, I let Mr. Brown and his companion go ahead, and making a sort of pack-saddle of the old hide, I curled myself up on the back of the old mare, and let her to her own pace, which, however, was a pretty round trot, until we reached the outskirts of the town, where, dismounting, I thanked my companions, very insincerely, I'm afraid, for my evening's amusement, and joined my friends at the hotel, who were never tired of hearing me recount my adventures at the singing school." I had been obliged to postpone my own concert until the next evening, for I found the borrowed piano, such a poor one, and so miserably out of tune, that it took me several hours rendering it at all fit for service. Before I had concluded my task, I was favoured with the company of Mr. Brown, who stuck to me closer than a brother, never allowing me out of his sight for a moment. This preserving attention, so little in unison with my feelings, caused me the most insufferable annoyance a thousand times i was on the point of dismissing him very unceremoniously by informing him that i thought him a most conceited impertinent puppy but for the sake of my friend roberts who was in some way related to the fellow i contrived to master my anger about four o'clock he jumped up from the table at which he had been lounging and sipping hot punch at my expense for the last hour exclaiming i guess it's time for me to see the peony carried up to the consort-room "'It's all ready,' said I. "'Perhaps, Mr. Brown, you will oblige me by singing a song before the company arrives, "'that I may judge how far your style and mine will agree.' "'For I began to have some horrible misgivings on the subject. "'If you will step upstairs, I will accompany you on the piano. "'I had no opportunity of hearing you sing last night.' "'No, no,' he said, with a conceited laugh. "'I mean to astonish you. "'Bah, bah! "'I'm not one of your common amateurs, no how.' I shall produce quite a sensation upon your audience. So saying, he darted through the door, and left me to finish my arrangements for the night. The hour appointed for the concert at length arrived. It was a clear, frosty night, the moon shining as bright as day. A great number of persons were collected about the doors of the hotel, and I had every reason to expect a full house. I was giving some directions to my doorkeeper when I heard a double sleigh approaching at an uncommon rate, and looking up the road I saw an old-fashioned, high-backed vehicle, drawn by two shabby-looking horses, coming towards the hotel at full gallop. The passengers evidently thought that they were too late and were making up for lost time. The driver was an old farmer, and dressed in the cloth of the country, with a large capote of the same material drawn over his head and weather-beaten face which left his sharp black eyes, red nose, and wide mouth alone visible. He flourished in his hands a large whip of rawhide, which ever and anon descended upon the backs of his raw-boned cattle like the strokes of a flail. "'Get up! Go along! Way!' cried he, suddenly drawing up at the door of the hotel. "'Well, here we be at last, and just in time for the consort!' "'then hitching the horses to the post "'and flinging the buffalo ropes over them. "'He left the three females he was driving in the sleigh "'and ran directly up to me. "'Aren't you the consort, man? "'I guess you be. "'By them air black pants and Sunday-going gear.' "'I nodded assent. "'What's the damage?' "'Half a dollar.' "'Half a dollar? You don't mean to say that?' "'Not a cent less. "'Well, it will be expensive.' "'There's my wife and two daughters and myself, "'and the gals never seed a consort.' "'Well,' said I, "'as there are four of you, you may come in at a dollar and a half.' "'How? A dollar and a half? "'I will go and have a talk with that old woman "'and hear what she says to it.' He returned to the sleigh, and after chatting for a few minutes with the woman, he helped them out, and the four followed me into the common reception-room of the inn. The farmer placed a pail of butter on the table, and said with a shrewd curl of his long nose and a wink from one of his cunning black eyes, "'There's some pretty good butter, mister.' I was amused at the idea, and replied, "'Pretty good butter? What's that to me? I do not buy butter.' "'Not buy butter? Why don't you say? "'It's the very best article in the market just now.' For a bit of fun, I said, "'Never mind. I will take your butter. What's it worth?' "'It was worth ten cents last week, mister. I don't know what it's worth now.' "'It can't have fallen, no how.' I took my knife from my pocket, and in a very business-like manner proceeded to taste the article. "'Why,' said I, "'this butter is not good.' Here a sharp-faced woman, stepped briskly up, and poking her head between us, said, at the highest pitch of her cracked voice, "'Yes, it is good. It was made this morning expressly for the consort.' "'I beg your pardon, madam. I am not in the habit of buying butter.' To oblige you, I will take this. How much is there of it? I don't know. Where are your steel yards? Oh, said I, laughing, I don't carry such things with me. I will take it at your own valuation, and you may go in with your family. Tis a bargain, says she. Go in, gals, and fix yourself for the consort.' As the room was fast filling, I thought it time to present myself to the company, and made my entrance, accompanied by that incorrigible pest, the singing-master who, without the least embarrassment, took his seat by the piano. After singing several of my best songs, I invited him to try his skill. "'Oh, certainly,' said he. "'To tell you the truth, I am a leal surprise that you did not ask me to lead off.' I would have done so, but I could not alter the arrangement of the programme. "'Ah, well, I excuse you this time, but it was not very polite, to say the least of it.' Then, taking my seat at the piano, with as much confidence as Brom ever had, he ran his hands over the keys, exclaiming, "'What shall I sing? I will give you one of Russell's songs. They suit my voice best. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to favour you by singing Henry Russell's celebrated song.' I love to roam, and accompany myself on the P.N.E. 40. This song is so well known to most of my readers that I can describe his manner of singing it without repeating the whole of the words. He struck the instrument in playing with such violence that it shook his whole body, and produced the following ludicrous effect. Some love to roam, o'er the dark sea foam. WHERE THE SHRILL WIND'S WHISTLE FREE, BUT A CHOSEN bar, AND IN A MOUNTAIN LAND, AND LIFE IN THE WOODS FOR ME. This performance was drowned in an uproar of laughter, which brought our vocalist to a sudden stop. I won't sing another line if you keep up the infernal noise, he roared at the top of his voice when a feller does his best he expects his audience to appreciate his performance and i allers heard as how the folks at w knew nothing about music oh do stop exclaimed an old woman rising from her seat and shaking her fist at the unruly company can't jeez he do sing beautiful and his voices in the winds do sound so natural i could almost hear them at owlin it minds me of old times it do this voluntary tribute to his genius seemed to console and reassure the singing-master, and, stemming with his own stentorian voice, the torrent of mistimed mirth, he sang his song triumphantly to the end, and the clapping of hands, stamping of feet, and knocking of benches were truly deafening. "'What will you have now?' cried he. "'I thought you would comprehend good singing at last.' "'Give them a comic song,' said I in a whisper. "'A comic song?' aloud do you think that i would waste my talents in singing trash that any jackass could bray no sirrah my style is purely sentimental i will give the ladies and gentlemen the ivy green he sang this beautiful original song which is decidedly russell's best much in the same style as the former one but getting a little used to his eccentricities we contrived to keep our gravity until he came to the chorus "'creeping, creeping, creeping,' for which he substituted "'crawling, crawling, crawling,' when he was again interrupted "'by such a burst of merriment that he was unable to crawl any further. "'Well,' said he, rising, "'if you won't behave, I will leave the instrument to Mr. H. "'and make one of the audience.' He had scarcely taken his seat when the farmer from whom I had bought the butter "'forced his way up to the piano, says he. "'There's that pail. It's worth ten cents and a half.' You must either pay the money or give me back the pail. Hitching up his nether garments, I suppose you all do the thing that's right. Oh, certainly, there are twelve and a half cents. I haven't changed, said he, with a knowing look. So much the better. Keep the difference. Then we're square, mister. And he sank back into his place. They pay you the money? I heard the wife ask in an anxious tone. "'Yes, yes, more than the old pale's worth by a long chalk. "'I'd like to deal with that chap allers.' "'I now proceeded with the concert. "'The song of the drowning child saved by the Newfoundland dog "'drew down thunders of applause. "'When the clamour had a little subsided, "'the tall man rose from his seat at the upper end of the room, "'and, after clearing his throat with several loud hymns, "'he thus addressed me. "'How do you do, Mr. H? I am glad, sir, to make your acquaintance.' "'This is my friend, Mr. Derby,' drawing another tall man conspicuously forward before all the spectators. "'He, too, is very happy to make your acquaintance. We both want to know if that dog you have been singing about belongs to you. If so, we should be glad to buy a pup.' He gravely took his seat amid perfect yells of applause. It was impossible to be heard in such a riot, and I closed the adventures of the evening by giving out Hail Columbia to be sung by all present.' This finale gave universal satisfaction, and the voice of my friend, the singing-master, might be heard far above the rest. I was forced, in common politeness, to invite Mr. Brown to partake of the oyster-supper I had provided for my friends from W. "'Will you join our party this evening, Mr. Brown?' "'Oh, by all manner of means,' said he, rubbing his hands together in a sort of ecstasy of anticipation." I knew that you would do the thing handsome at last. I have not tasted an Easter since I sang at Niblo's in New York. But did we not come on famously at the consort? Confess, now, that I beat you, Holler. You sing pretty well, but you want confidence. You don't give expression enough to your voice. The applause which followed my first song was tremendous. I never heard anything like it, Mr. Brown. I never expect to merit such marks of public approbation. "'Oh, in good time, my little friend,' returned he, clapping me familiarly on the shoulder. "'Rome was not built in a day, and you are a young man, a very young man, and very small for your age. Your voice will never have the volume and compass of mine. But I smell the Easter's. Let's in, for I am tarnation hungry.' Gentle reader, you would have thought so, to have seen him eat my companions looked rather disconcerted at the rapidity with which they disappeared within his capacious jaws. After satisfying his enormous appetite, he washed down the oysters with long draughts of porter. Until his brain, becoming affected, he swung his huge body back in his chair, and placing his feet on the supper-table, began singing in good earnest. Not one song in particular, "'but a mixture of all that had appeared in the most popular Yankee song-books for the last ten years. "'I wish I could give you a specimen of the sublime and the ridiculous, thus unceremoniously huddled together. "'The effect was so irresistible, when contrasted with the grave exterior of the man, "'that we laughed until our side ached at his absurdities.' exhausted by his constant vociferations the musician at length dropped from his chair in a drunken sleep upon the floor and we carried him into the next room and put him to bed and after talking over the events of the evening we retired about midnight to our respective chambers which all opened into the great room in which i held the concert about two o'clock in the morning my sleep was disturbed by the most dismal cries and groans which appeared to issue from the adjoining apartment, i rubbed my eyes and sat up in bed and listened when i recognized the well-known voice of the singing master exclaiming in tones of agony and fear landlord landlord come quick somebody come landlord landlord there's a man under my bed oh lord i shall be murdered a man under my bed "'as I am not fond of such nocturnal visitors myself, "'not being much gifted with physical strength or courage, "'I listened a moment to hear if anyone was coming. "'The sound of approaching footsteps along the passage "'greatly aided the desperate effort I made to leave my comfortable pillow, "'and proceeded to the scene of action. "'At the chamber door I met the landlord, "'armed with the fire tongs and a light. "'What's all this noise about?' he cried in an angry tone. I assured him that I was as ignorant as himself of the cause of the disturbance. Here the singing master again sung out, "'Landlord! Landlord! There's a man under the bed! Come! Somebody, come!' We immediately entered his room, and were joined by two of my friends from W. Seeing our party strengthened to four, our courage rose amazingly, and we talked loudly of making mincemeat of the intruder, kicking him downstairs, and torturing him in every way we could devise we found the singing-master sitting bolt upright in his bed, his small clothes gathered up under his arm, ready for a start, his face as pale as a sheet, his teeth chattering, and his whole appearance indicative of the most abject fear. We certainly did hear very mysterious sounds issuing from beneath the bed, which caused the boldest of us to draw back. "'He is right,' said Roberts. "'There is someone under the bed.' "'What a set of confounded cowards you are!' cried the landlord. "'Can't you lift the valance and see what it is?' He made no effort himself to ascertain the cause of the alarm. Roberts, who, after all, was the boldest man of the party, seized the tongs from the landlord, and, kneeling cautiously down, slowly raised the drapery that surrounded the bed. "'Hold the light here, landlord.' He did so, but at arm's length roberts peered timidly into the dark void beyond dropped the valance, and looked up with a comical quizzing expression and began to laugh what is it we all cried in a breath landlord landlord he cried imitating the voice of the singing master come quick somebody come there's a dog under the bed he will bite me oh dear oh dear i shall die of hydrophobia i shall be smothered in a feather bed a dog said the landlord "'A dog!' we all cried. "'Aye, a black dog!' Ye don't say!' cried the singing master, springing from his bed. "'Where is he? I'm able for him anyhow!' And seizing a corn-broom that stood in a corner of the room, he began to poke at the poor animal, and belabor him in the most unmerciful manner. The dog, who belonged to a drover who penned his cattle in the inn-yard for the night— wishing to find a comfortable domicile, had taken a private survey of the premises when the people were out of the way, and made his quarters under Mr. Brown's bed. When that worthy commenced snoring, the dog, to signify his approbation at finding himself in the company of some one, amused himself by hoisting his tail up and down, now striking the sacking of the bed, and now tapping audibly against the floor— "'These mysterious salutations became at length so frequent and vehement "'that they awoke the sleeper, who, not daring to ascertain the cause of the alarm, "'arose the whole house with his clamours. "'Mr. Brown, finding himself unable to thrash the poor brute out of his retreat, "'and having become all of a sudden very brave, "'crawled under the bed and dragged the dog out by his hind legs. "'You see, I'm enough for him. Give me the poker, and I'll beat out his brains.' "'You'll do no such thing, sir,' said the landlord, turning the animal down the stairs. "'The dog belongs to a quite decent fellow, and a good customer, and he shall meet with no ill usage here. "'Your mountain, Mr. Brown, has brought forth a mouse.' "'A dog, sir,' quoth the singing master, not in the least abashed by the reproof. "'If the brute had cut up such a dito under your bed, you would have been as turnal skeered as I was.' "'Perhaps, Mr. Brown,' said I, "'you took it for the ghost of the old mare.' "'Ghost or no ghost,' returned the landlord, "'he has given us a great deal of trouble, "'and nearly frightened himself into fits.' "'The fear was not all on my side,' said the indignant vocalist, "'and I look upon you as the cause of the whole trouble.' "'As how? If the dog had not come into your house, "'he never would have found his way under my bed.' "'When I pay for my night's lodging, "'I don't expect to share it with a strange dog. "'No, how!' "'So saying, he retreated, grumbling, back to his bed, "'and we gladly followed his example. "'I rose early in the morning to accompany my friends to W. "'At the door of the hotel, I was accosted by Mr. Brown. "'Why, aren't you going to start without bidding me good-bye? "'Besides, you have not paid me for my assistance at the consort.' "'I literally started with surprise at this unexpected demand. "'Do you expect a professional price for your services?' "'Well, I guess a consort would have been nothing without my help. "'But I wouldn't be hard upon you, as you are a young beginner, "'and not likely to make your fortune in that line anyhow. "'There's that pail of butter. "'If you don't mean to take it along, I'll take that. "'We wants butter to hum. "'Is it a bargain?' "'Oh, yes. "'If you are satisfied, I am well pleased.' "'I could have added, to get rid of you at any price. "'You will find it on the table in the hall.' "'Not exactly. I took it home this morning. "'I thought how it would end. good to you, Mr. H. "'If you ever come this way again, I shall be happy to lend you my assistance.' "'I never visited that part of the countryside since, "'but I have no doubt that Mr. Brown is busy in his vocation.' and flattering himself that he is one of the first vocalists in the union. I think he should change his residence, and settle down for life in new harmony.
1: To Adelaide, a beautiful young Canadian lady. Yes, thou art young, and passing fair, but time, that bids all blossoms fade, will rob thee of the rich and rare. Then list to me, sweet Adelaide, He steals the snow from polished brow, From soft, bewitching eyes, the blue, From smiling lips, their ruby glow, From velvet cheeks, their rosy hue. Oh, who shall check the spoiler's power? Tis more than conquering love may dare. He flutters round youth's summer bower, And reigns o'er hearts like summer fair. He basks himself in sunny eyes, Hides mid bright locks and dimpled smiles. From age he spreads his wings and flies, Forgets soft vows and pretty wiles. The charms of mind are ever young, Their beauty never owns decay. The fairest form by poets sung Before their power must fade away. The mind immortal wins from time, Fresh beauties as its years advance, Its flowers bloom fresh in every clime. They cannot yield to change and chance. E'en over love's capricious boy, They hold an undiminished sway, For chill and storm can ne'er destroy The blossoms of eternal day. Then deem these charms, sweet Adelaide, The brightest gems in beauty's zone. Make these thine own, all others fade, They live when youth and grace are flown. THE DAUGHTER OF COLONEL COLEMAN, OF BELLEVILLE, NOW MRS. EASTON.
0: END OF CHAPTER SIX